Hello, and welcome to Technology and Space, where we talk about the science, technology, history, and business of space exploration and commercialization. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. This interview will be presented in two parts. This is part two. See, see, here's the way it would work. Before the mission starts, the, the scientists propose experiments. So there's about a big science team, maybe maybe, maybe uh, about 15 or 20 people. Mm-hmm. And they all have, they, and, and in order to get on the science team, you submit a proposal to NASA, and then NASA, you tell them how much money it's going to cost, you know, maybe a million dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they approve it, and then you become a an investigator, and then a principal scientist, the principal investigator. Well, I'm the principal navigator. Of course, nobody would recognize that position, hmm. but I did. <laughs> so, so I had to get gravity fields and planetary ephemerides and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, since I didn't have a NASA grant to do it, in theory, I'm not allowed to do it then see, because it's, I'm not allowed to do science because I'm doing navigation. Got it. Okay. It's like, look, what you're not, most of your science, a lot of your science that you're doing is navigation, and I've already done that science. So I'm going to use my science unless you can convince me that your science is better than my science. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I told the scientists a couple of times. I said, I said, I said, if you go off and do something uh, with your own software, and, and uh, Goddard had, a, had had software that would do a lot of this stuff. But they didn't have the optical tracking, so I, I I told them I said if you if you if you if you have any problems I said I'm not going to help you, but if you use my if you use my data that I'm providing, which is the official project data, then if you have a problem I'm going to make sure that you get that I get it fixed. Mm-hmm. So that was the deal that I worked with them. Well, of course they didn't like that because they first of all I don't have the authority to to tell them anything like that, but. After a while, they realized that I had a hell of a lot more authority than, than a lot of people. Because hmm. when I told them something, they usually did start doing it. <laughs> so let, let me ask you about gravitational fields to better understand them. So is the gravitational field sort of a sphere around the center of gravity, or, or does it fluctuate? Like, what's, what's sort of the, what would you say is the, the shape of, of gravitational fields? Okay, well, what happens is I'm working on a paper or a book on general relativity right now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, like the gravity field, if, if, the, if the sun, let's say, for example, this is the assumption that's made, is a perfect sphere mm-hmm. in uniform density, then the external gravity field is very simple. It's just, it's just one over r squared. In other words, you just take the, the inverse square of the distance from it, and that's, that's the acceleration. That's your gravity field. Okay. And that's, that's an extremely simple gravity field. Well, when, with general relativity, it gets a little more complicated because because you have to add in a little term, one, one mu over c squared r r cube. There's an r cube in there now, <laughs> so it, but it's such a small term that it doesn't make much difference. Well, when you're talking about the Earth, there's enough irregularity in the shape of the Earth that you can't assume it's a perfect sphere. Okay. So, so mathematicians back in the 1800s, my heroes, these are the guys I really like. I, I, I kind of wish that I could just go back and talk to these guys and tell them what I've done and, and how much I appreciate the work that they've done. Mm-hmm. These are the heroes of, of, of science, really, in mathematics. They came up with, it, with, these, with uh, Legendre, 
Legendre polynomials, they call them. And they, it's a way of accounting for the irregularities in the shape. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the big one on the Earth is that the poles are about oh, four kilometers away, shorter in one direction than the other. The equator is about four kilometers in radius bigger than the pole, the distance. It's squashed, in other words. And it's it's in that ellipsoidal shape because of the rotation. See, the rotation throws the mass, stretches the Earth in the equator direction, and flattens it in the pole. See? Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but there are mountains on the Earth. So a mountain has a gravity. So actually, if you're standing in Nebraska, and the Rocky Mountains are over there to the, to the, to the west, you know, mm-hmm. not standing straight up. You're actually leaning a little bit toward the, toward the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. You can't measure it. You can measure it, but it, it's it's really small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you walk around on the surface of the Earth. Uh, uh, if you have a plumb bob, you know it should point right straight down to the center of mass, but it doesn't. It, it's always they call it the deflection of the vertical, mm-hmm. and and this deflection of the vertical is for intercontinental ballistic missiles is critical because when you launch the spacecraft, you have to compute the gravity. You know, the, gra- the gravity isn't something, and, and you can't measure gravity with, with instruments, mm-hmm. with inertial instruments. It, you have to compute it. So, 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 um, uh, so, so that's the same thing true, you know, with, with this asteroid. But now the gravity fields has huge harmonics, way outside of the linear range. So, yeah. so the little bumps in, on, on the, um, on the, uh, uh, asteroid caused deflections of the gravity. Well, this is it's big enough to affect the motion of the spacecraft. We can see it. So, so we need so one way of solving this is what's called gravity harmonics. You come up with a mathematical set of harmonics that are sines and cosine functions that are kind of difficult to derive, and, and the and Legendre polynomials that take care of the the, the gravity along the axis. And and you and you solve for these coefficients, and then you can compute the gravity. And the gravity vector, you know, the direction and the magnitude of the gravity, is is is, is a function of, of of all these harmonic coefficients. Mm-hmm. And, but for a sphere, it would point straight to the center of mass, and that's that's ninety percent, or that's that's a ninety nine and three quarters percent for the Earth, or more than that. Well, like for example, okay. I'll tell you another little story. Sure. This is interesting. When we flew by the Earth on Galileo, it was, and a couple other missions before that, most of your trajectories are, are Earth orbiters are in the are in the equatorial plane of the Earth. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get over the North Pole unless you launch it that way. Like in Vandenberg, they launch over the North Pole. Mm-hmm. But on Galileo, and on near, even on near, it was really dramatic. When the spacecraft, it has to fly by the Earth to get a gravity assist. So when it fl- it flies by about nine hundred kilometers away from the from the from, from you know altitude or so, and 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 the gravitation of the Earth gives it a slingshot effect and throws it out to out to where you want to go. Right. Okay. Well, when you fly over the North, we fly over Siberia and then come down over Antarctica. What we noticed was that there, when we solved for, for the velocity of the spacecraft, it was off by about one or two millimeters per second. Now you think that one or two millimeters per second, you know, that's a 
that, that, that's that's like the second hand on a watch, you know. That's not very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot, you know. You can uh, walk a lot faster than that, uh, but it's a lot in an order determination situation. Mm-hmm. Because if you propagate it out for a year or so, you can be thousands of kilometers off if you're off by a millimeter per second. Right. But we noticed this, and we figured there was something wrong with the gravity field. Uh, at least that was my theory. It was an unexplained phenomenon. Well. The scientists that were that are associated with with the, with the astrodynamics part of it, they, they they never have anything to do because we all we know this we know how the gravity field works, and we we don't really need them. So the first something that's unexplained, they just get they, this is their day, you know. They just so they they manage to keep this unexplained phenomenon going on for uh, years, but but they ask me and I say I know what the answer is. It's 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 the gravity harmonics are wrong. Well, they have. University of Texas, I guess, is doing these gravity harmonics, and they have them out to like a 10,000 harmonic coefficients. And I said, that's not enough. I said, here's what here's what you have to do. Consider Iceland. Iceland is sitting there, right? If you took Iceland and moved it to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, that would explain the two millimeters per second. Mm-hmm. And since you you don't have a gravity field that's accurate enough to, to, to recognize the Grand Canyon, let alone Iceland, the gravity harmonic coefficients are not accurate enough to actually recognize mountains and and, and, and topographic features on the Earth. Now, oh, I see. nowadays, they, they can see some of it. I'm not sure where they are right now, but I'm, I'm talking about 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know what they have right now. Okay. On an asteroid, we, got, we could get the shape. I actually, the way I got the gravity field on near was they had one of the science instruments was a laser altimeter so as the spacecraft orbited around in a polar orbit it covered the whole body they fired this laser beam down it would hit the surface and bounce back and then they would detect the return and they measure the, the round trip light time and that tells them how far they were from 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 the from that point on the surface mm-hmm. aimed at so i i I said, gee, I could use that for navigation because then I can determine, I could, I know where the center of gravity is, so I can subtract off, and I know where the spacecraft is, so I could subtract and get and get the 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 uh, the, 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 the the radius to the surface, so I could figure the shape of the thing. I can get the shape of the asteroid by by using these laser altimeter measurements. Mm-hmm. Well, the principal scientist for the uh, uh, laser altimeter experiment was uh, from Goddard. And, and very uh, uncooperative, figuring that s- since navigation doesn't have anything to do because it, it's well known how, how we navigate for the last 20 years and you're not really doing anything new. I don't have to pay any attention to you. And I, and I kept saying, I, I need this data. Well, usually, and so I get no cooperation from science because I don't have a, I don't have a science contract. But I was on the science team, by the way. They, they, I was on three three of the science teams. Hmm. After near, they won't put me on any because they, they didn't like the way I behaved when I was on the science team. <laughs> they thought they could buy me off by putting me on the science team. And it, it didn't work at all. Yeah. At all. Backfired. It backfired, right. I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. You can find more information about his work at the Springer website. If you like this podcast, Technology in Space, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. If you want more science, technology, and space history, 
please visit technologyinspace.com to sign up for my weekly newsletter and keep track of my latest posts. You can also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and fullcontactnerd.com. Now back to the podcast. So you're saying, so he didn't want to give you those laser data, altimeter data. Yeah. Okay. So now we get in the, we get in the, in the orbit and, and I'm, I got this gravity field, you know, and I didn't know whether it was any good or not. All right. And, and so, uh, I'll tell you this story because this, this is one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, there's a, a woman back at APL. Her name, her name is Yan Ping Gao. Mm-hmm. I'll mention her name. Because I know her very well, she, I, you know, I got her to give me a recommendation when I for the book. You know, she was one of the people. So, so she was treated very badly, of course, because the, because there's a lot of um, politics that goes on in any organization, and the sciences, the engineers did not like the scientists. Same as JPL, right? but I'm the only engineer that doesn't like the scientists. The rest of them don't even know what's going on, so they, they like the scientists. But it, but the but the politics is really severe. So so uh, she was aware of the fact that I wanted to get this laser altimetry data and understood why. So um, and so right in March, I guess it was of 2000, um, um, uh, she sends me hundred thousand laser altimeter points in a file mm-hmm. which i had kind of got i i had you know i said i wanted this file but and i i kept reminding them that you know the mco spacecraft was lost and the reason it was lost was because the file that deter- that, de- that determined the uh the non-gravitational little accelerations on the spacecraft they never provided it and you guys I've asked for that same file for you to generate that same file, and you haven't provided it because you decided that, that you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Well, when your spacecraft crashes, I'm going to remind you that you didn't give me the file I asked for. Mm-hmm. So she listened to that, and she realized that this other file was another one that I was asking for. So she provided it, and I took it, and I uh, I had some software written, and I had a guy that was working with me. That I, I turned it all over to him, but but I for this particular one, I, I decided to jump right in, you know, and get that data and process it. So what I did is, is I determined a shape model for, for, for Eros okay. from strictly from the LIDAR data by itself. I had a solution for the gravity field that was radiometric. In other words, it involved tracking the spacecraft and then measuring the acceleration of the spacecraft. I can determine the harmonics of, 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 of Eros. But if I had, if I knew the exact shape of it, and I and I, I made the co- assumption that the density was constant, there were, there's no mass, mass mass concentrations buried in Eros. It's all the same mass all everywhere. Okay. I could I I had the mathematics that I that I picked up out of books that I've read and, and derived myself. And really, this was not easy to do, but I did it. I could integrate over the shape of Eros and determine the gravity coefficients. So I so I did it. And I looked at it, and and then I looked at, you know, the solution, the radiometric solution, and they were so close. I immediately came to the conclusion that I made a mistake. I got the I got the fields mixed up. Hmm. So I spent an hour uh, doing it over and over again because I couldn't believe that the solution the solution I got 
from the shape was exactly the same, practically. Out to, out to the fifth degree in order. This is like three or five or six hundred coefficients. They're all the same. Hmm. I thought, this is amazing. I said, this proves that Eros is constant density. Or, oh, wow. or because the scientists always have some some uh, phraseology that they are words that they make up that, that completely confuse everybody else. Constant density is means something to me. Hmm. It's undifferentiated is what they would say. That means there's no there's no it's undi it, there's no differences in, in the in the in the mass. It's undifferentiated. Right. Hmm. That was a big scientific discovery. So so I uh, first thing I did. We had a guy that was on a science team, but he was on the radio science team, and he was doing gravity modeling. So I walked over and I said, "How's your gravity modeling doing?" He said, "Oh yeah." I said, "Pretty good." I said, "Can I see your gravity field?" So he so he he got it out and he showed it to me, and I looked at a couple of the coefficients, and then and then I looked at mine. You know, I said, "That's wrong." I said, "You're wrong." I was I was kind of teasing him, you know, <laughs> and he he says, "Well, how do you know?" <laughs> Essentially, I and I told him what I did, and I said. Here's the correct solution. I got two of them. They're doing the same thing, and yours is different from these two. Mm-hmm. So he said, "Oh, he says I know what it is." He said, "Can you tell me where the pole is?" See, that would the pole is the direction of the spin vector of the of Eros. Mm-hmm. That's something I had to solve for. So, so it, my solution was about four or five degrees off from 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 where they thought it was before we started. That that's a huge amount. So we were probably he probably knew it within a degree or so, but he, he needed it to be within a hundredth of a degree. And so I gave him the poll, and then he and then he reran his software, and then he got the same exact result as me. Mm-hmm. So so my policy is that when I when I make a great discovery that I should be get awarded the Nobel Prize for, <laughs> I immediately just forget about it because I don't. His job is to determine the gravity field. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to embarrass him because he's he's a friend, and I have to work with him in the future. So I just never said another word about it. I just went on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now in the meantime, I'm fighting with this uh, person at Goddard, who's who is uh, famous, who's on the the team that investigated the Challenger explosion with with, with Feynman. Those mm-hmm. one of those one of those shuttle explosions, you know, she, she, and who was very hard to get along with, mm-hmm. and I'm. I'm in competition. I'm not in competition. I'm doing it. I'm doing the navigation, and I'm not. You're not doing the navigation. That's my attitude. Mm-hmm. So I decided that she's not going to know. It was a woman too. She's not going to know. Her, her solution for the gravity field is probably not going to be be. Uh, it's going to be like the other guys. She's not going to know what I know about. Mm-hmm. So I decided I could be quiet, even though she's an enemy, and just let her spin for herself. Mm-hmm. So I called her up, and I and I said, "Look, I said I just discovered that that the gravity field that that Eros is undifferentiated, as they like to say, and and I what I had done, and I said I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I said if you want if you want if you want us to write a paper together, I'll just give you what I got, and you can write it, and then you could put me on the paper, and that and that'll be all I want." That'll be fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna publish what I have as as a as a finding. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna give it up. And she said, "Well, that would be unethical. You're unethical." I said, "I said, <laughs> I said what? <laughs> I said, of course I'm an engineer. You think I'm ethical?" <laughs> I said, "I said, look, 
I know you know the director of this laboratory. I said, and you can call him up and probably complain about me giving you trouble. I said, go ahead and do it because I don't pay attention to him either. <laughs> so after that, I never had any problems with her anymore. Mm-hmm. And, the- and, 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 every, and, and, and she did her stuff and I did mine and that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. And, and the paper got published? Well, it, as it turned out, she, she, she publishes in science journals and she, she didn't want me to publish in a science journal. I have to publish in an engineering journal. Well, yeah. engineering journals are not respected by scientists. <laughs> so uh, I said, no. I said, look, if I do something that's, you know, so I agreed not to publish this thing in a, at all, period. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to publish it, it's going to be in a science journal. Well, when the mission was over with, this is a year or two later now after this conversation, I don't think I talked to her again after that. I still haven't talked to her. If I ever saw her again, I, I, would, I, would, I would be friendly with her. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, we, we, we wanted to come up with a paper for, for um, Icarus, which is like, that's, a, that's a, the, the most prestigious journal for, for science, for space science. Mm, okay. it's, it's Cornell. I think, I think uh, Carl Sagan had something. He was editor of Icarus, and Joe Viverka was now the, and I knew Joe. But uh, it's like Science Magazine. A lot of the stuff I, I did went into Science Magazine. Not under my name. I was I was named as one of the uh, uh, many authors, which I really make me mad because it was mostly my work. But anyhow, I I decided that ninety percent of the work that, that that was navigation, not radio science, and I had done it. So I am going to write the paper for Icarus. Hmm. If you if if I'm not the lead author on the paper, I'm not going to contribute to it. Because it's my work, mm-hmm. and I could have I could have pointed out to him that what that, that, them that that what you're engaged in is scientific fraud, and I'm going to call up the FBI and have you investigated. I didn't say that, but I thought it. Mm-hmm. But they probably thought it too, and so they let me be the the, um, the lead author on this paper that went into Icarus. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the paper, and of course I got all my experts that are on my on the team, you know, to help me. Mm-hmm. And the sections of it. I didn't write the whole thing. I, you know, but it was a really nice paper, about 15 or 20 pages, and it went into Icarus. So um, I, I sent in my draft, and, and the scientists then sent back comments on, on it. So, so the comments was, uh, one comment was, I regarded this one as, 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 as really a very positive comment. From, but he, I'm sure he, he was making it as a very negative comment. He said was the description of how you solve for, for the 600 parameters is impossible. It's impossible to do what you did. <laughs> I thought to myself, God, I did something impossible. But he, <laughs> his thought was that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I just disregarded him, you know. And then somebody wrote back, wrote down and says, uh, there are a lot of paper people on this paper who have great reputations that work at JPL. This paper is going to ruin their reputations. They're, they're going to because this paper is so bad. So, so, so I wrote a letter. I wrote a quick letter to the editor, and I said, "Whoever that was has no business talking about JP how JPL does their business because I've been working with these guys for years, and they we all know where we stand." I said, "I said I'm not paying, I'm not paying attention." And then I. And then I answered the technical points one by one. You know, I said, here, look, I don't understand. Here, this is what's going on. You know, I wrote it was a two page memo. Mm-hmm. 
and then I let it go at that. And I submitted the, uh, the, the I reviewed the galley proofs and submitted it and forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Well, it had a special issue of Icarus that came on. My paper was the first paper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was the only one that discussed a lot of the issues that were very important. What year did that come out, that issue? 2003, I think. Okay. Around 2000, no, wait, 2001, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Okay. And and that that made my career because on Icarus, that paper has received uh, 900 downloads. Hmm. 900 different people have downloaded it. it, If anybody does anything at all with asteroids uh, navigation, they get that paper. That paper is the defining paper for navigation around asteroids. Cool. It, just so I don't forget, the, the meeting you mentioned where JPL and APL were trying to refight over who had the program, what, what year was that meeting? Do you recall the one you yeah. talked about? I, yeah, I do recall. 1990, 1993. 93. Okay. Just trying to get my timeline straight there. Well, what? Yeah, yeah, that was one of because the earthquake was in 1994 here in California, and 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 I, I remember right at right after I started working on the, on 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 it, mm-hmm. the, uh, we had the earthquake because I was in I was in Baltimore I think when the earthquake happened. No, I was here when the earthquake happened, but they knew about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Okay, so you mentioned in your email sort of a, a there was a point where the spacecraft had a flat line that you were like in dread of something going on do you want to oh that one that, that okay that was the one exciting part uh, it, one of the things when i'm bragging about, i brag that i've never worked on a mission that, that failed mm-hmm. mission that i worked in on was more or less 100 percent successful unless i quit you know or, or didn't or stop working on it then it was possible to have a failure because I wasn't there to make sure it didn't happen. I always embellish this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to insert into orbit around Eros. So the deal was that my supervisor and most of the guys are going to do all the navig- interplanetary navigation because I'm not interested in interplanetary navigation. Mm-hmm. And at the orbital phase is where all the where the real work was going to be done anyway. Uh, I did I did do, one of the guys quit, and so I took over for, for a couple of weeks or a month or so, the flyby of the Earth, you know, where, where that little two millimeter per second would happen. Mm-hmm. So I was actually the navigator on that. But anyhow, interplanetary navigation, I wasn't doing it. So they had a, a plan where as they approach Eros to rendezvous with it, they, they, they're going to do three burns. So they burn an engine for, you know, and and, and reduce. There's 900 meters per second velocity mm-hmm. difference. So you have to take out 900 meters per second. So mm-hmm. they took out maybe 600 in the first burn and 40 in the next burn and 10 in the next burn. And then they're in orbit. So so we're sitting there, you know, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting in operations now, you know, at, at JPL. And... My policy is that that if if they're doing something that I disagree with, if they did, if they won't do it the way I the way I know is the correct way to do it, I, I won't show up uh, for operations. I'll just go down to my office and sit there, and then and then when they screw up, I'm going to come up and, and blame them for everything. Hmm. Listening to, me. 
So I, I, I threaten them. But anyhow, I'm sitting there and I'm really I'm I'm engaged now because I'm with I'm on the, I'm on the team because I'm I'm not fighting anybody. And and or and and when you look at the Doppler data, it comes down from the spacecraft. It 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 kind of looks like a heart monitor. There's little points, you know, and they, and they get plotted in real time. Mm-hmm. So you can see the little points going along, and they're and they're jumping up and down. You know, it's like it's like a little cloud around the zero line of points. Each one of these points is probably a, a five hundred dollars. Hmm, right. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sitting there looking at it, and all of a sudden, the the the, the line goes to zero. The, 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 it's like when you see an earthquake, you know, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's much like an earthquake. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a little earthquake and then, and then, it's, then the line is flat. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's flatlined. So the, being, being a uh, experienced trained navigator, I immediately started to blame the DSN for screwing up the computers because they, that's the, that's 90% of the time. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't, what happened was when they fired the engine, it went out of control, and the spacecraft started tumbling. Oh wow! And it burned up about fifty meters per second of propellant and threw uh, uh, pro- propellant that by- the byproducts sprayed it all over the spacecraft. Oh wow! You know the gooey stuff you know, that comes out of the out of there, and the re- reason was that the guy who was APL that was responsible, he got the wrong coefficients i guess in the control so this is a totally he should never he's this he was one of the supposed to be the, the smartest guy on a near team from apl and he turned out he made a big mistake mm-hmm. so so the spacecraft flew by arrows it didn't slow down it just kept on going at 900 meters per second i'm speaking with james miller author of planetary spacecraft navigation you can find more information about his work at the springer website If you like this podcast, Technology in Space, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. If you want more science, technology, and space history, please visit technologyinspace.com to sign up for my weekly newsletter and keep track of my latest posts. You can also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and fullcontactnerd.com. Now back to the podcast. Now, so we immediately, uh, they analyzed it, and they determined what it was. And we had a big meeting. And there was like hundreds of people on the phone, because anytime anything happens, there's a lot of people who want to come around to see what's going on. You know? they, mm-hmm. They're never around beforehand to help you out. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, the, the, uh, it was determined that uh, what had happened. So they, the guy knew how to fix it. So the, the fix was to was to burn, turn the spacecraft and burn, to stop it, and then have it come back at a at a very slow rate. You don't want to burn any more propellant than you have, so that it, mm-hmm. so if it flies by for, for a day, it takes it takes a week to get back. Okay. So so I said, okay, well, what we do is burn, make do that burn right away. You know, and all that. And they, they said, no, we've got to think about. It. We've got to make sure. We got to absolutely be sure. So I said, I said, look, you can check all you want. You're not going to get any more sure than you are right now. Just do the burn, and if, if it blows up or anything else happens, that's too bad. That's the end of the mission. No, they don't want to do it. So, so they let it go for ten days. So now, when they do it, it's going to take a year to get back. 
So that all the money for extended mission is gone now. That was extended mission money. Yeah. So so they stopped it, um, and, and 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 then slowly brought it back. Well, this this enabled me to do some stuff that that I found kind of really interesting. I got a really good uh, photo uh, images of, of the asteroid as it flew by, you know, and all that mm-hmm. from from a different angle, and then coming back, you know. So I was able to essentially determine where the asteroid was relative to the sun, the very high precision. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly. Yeah, I don't even need to know it because once you get there, you don't really care where the sun is. Mm-hmm. But but anyhow, th- that happened. Yeah, there was one other uh, thing I was thinking of that had to do with the same sort of, uh, oh, oh, I know. This is, to me, this is, uh, this is where my experience came in once again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we decided to land on the asteroid. I didn't decide. I was against it. Mm-hmm. So I, my attitude was, all right, I'm not, I'm not supporting it. No, they never asked me to help them. They just decided that they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't been working on the operations very much at the end there. I, I was doing something else. So they did it. And I, and I looked at what they did. I said, tell me your maneuvers. And I analyzed it. And I determined that this landing was going to be successful unless the spacecraft fails. This is a good, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. The only way, in other words, you could, we could do maneuvers down to one millimeter per second. And if, as long as you get down in, in 40 minutes, you're going to get within a 100, 100 meter c- circle. Mm-hmm. So it's going to, I'm pretty confident that it's going to work. So so uh, we're doing it and the thing's coming down, you know, 20 minutes, 30. And, and I thought ahead a little bit and I said, I said, how are they going to know that it's safely landed? Well, my supervisor had figured out that y- if you look at it with the Doppler, the rotation of the of the uh, asteroid around its axis is going to cause a, a, a Doppler shift, and you can compute that. It was like fourteen hertz, we call it. That's the Doppler shift. Mm-hmm. So if the when it lands, it's, we're going to see a fourteen hertz Doppler shift. Well, I, I I knew that that is a positive indication that's safely landing, mm-hmm. but. It's just one little indicator. So everybody else I knew is going to be unsure about the landing because they're going to think that, you know, yeah, we see the 14 hertz, but does that mean it really landed? It, there's, no, there's no way you could get 14 hertz other than being on the surface at a certain point and have it go. <laughs> so so, uh, so I knew that they were going to stand around and, and not do anything like they normally do when something unusual happens. And, I, and, and we, we were on a internet you know, uh, or on a phone connected to our APL at, at, uh, in, in, in Baltimore mm-hmm. and we're past, I'm in Pasadena and we watch it and, and it lands you know, and a guy announced, okay, it should have landed right now. And, and I look at it and bingo, the, the, the thing goes to 14 Hertz mm-hmm. and start tracing a line across at 14 Hertz. So I, I knew that they, they did, that they would not know whether or not it was landed. So I got on the phone and I said, okay, you guys can now start to celebrate because it's on the surface and it's landed. Hmm. <laughs> and, and about five, what I didn't realize is that since, since they knew I could be on the line, that, that my, my statement didn't, didn't go to the whole world like it had in other times in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so, so about two minutes later, there's a big cheer all, all of a sudden. It's landed. Mm-hmm. When I, when I, oh, when, I'll tell you one other story like that. 
I'm on when when the uh, when they had this uh, uh, blow up or or the, or the engine failure, hmm. we lost 50 meters per second. We had 75 meters per second to to do the whole mission, the orbiting mission, because they always put more on than they need, which is all right. You know, I, what we really want to do is do an extended mission with what's left over. But hmm. so now there's only 25 meters per second left. Because it burned up to, to 50, and they coated some of the optics on some of the instruments too. Uh. Couldn't get as good pictures. But anyhow, uh, they, they, the question is: uh, is what are we going to do? Well, I had designed the orbiting mission. Now, now, of course, nobody recognizes that. I everybody's talking about how to design it, and I'm not listening to anything they say. And then, I, and then when 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 they uh, uh, decided to, to design the mission, this is about three or four months earlier. Mm-hmm. It's pretty late for designing an orbiting mission. Uh, I said, okay, well, well, since they since they think they know so much about designing the mission, I said, let them design and come up with a design, and then I'll and then we'll see what, how it goes. And and uh, my uh, uh, supervisor calls me into his bosses, and, and they they got a notepad there, and they're getting ready to fire me mm. <laughs> because I designed the mission. <laughs> so so I'm talking to them, and they're. And I said, I said, okay, I listened to, I listened to everything you had to say. I said, I'll, I'll design the mission, okay? So, so I designed it, and it took me two days to design it because mm-hmm. I knew I, I had designed missions like that on Viking, and a lot of times, I knew, I knew how to do orbit elements and all that kind of stuff. So I knew how, I could do this really rapidly. It wasn't easy though. Let me put it that way. So when when the disaster occurred, they they, they said they wanted to know what what, what can we do with twenty five meters per second. So, so there, I got on, a, I got on a, a telecon, you know, and there were like 300 people wanting to know what's going to happen on the, on there, you know. So this time I'm actually on the line with, with the, so that everybody can hear me. So I said, okay. So I got really serious. Nor, normally, when I'm making outrageous, stupid statements, I know who's on the in the other room, and I don't, I, I, I can just say whatever I want because I know they know me. Hmm. There's, when there's a lot of people who I'd ever heard of, and there's NASA people and all that on the line, I don't want to say anything that's going to screw things up. Right. So, so I, I said, okay, here's what you got to do. I said, when we, when our, our initial, our plan was that when we get there, uh, a, a couple of weeks later, we we send the spacecraft into a polar orbit and fly over, uh, essentially, the subsolar point. In other words, we're going to fly. Such that the spacecraft is exactly between the 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 the, the asteroid and the sun, so that you can look straight down and you can see the the sunlight is right behind you. Mm-hmm. See, anyway, and the infrared spectrometer guy, Jim Bell, he wanted that data, you know, because he wanted it early. And I said, look, what we'll do, what we can do is not do that overflight there, but wait about two or three months. And when we get into the situation where we have to change the direction of the orbit, because as we go around the sun, eventually we get into a situation where where we're going around um, in, in, in a like like a clockwise direction mm-hmm. on, around Eros, and then we, it, 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 but because we're the, the spin vector is fixed in space when you get on the other side, it's just like it's like winter is is, is in. When we're having summer, the South Pole's having winter. Mm-hmm. When winter comes, we have to turn it around so that we got summer. And I, let me make it. Let me say it that way. Okay. So when we turn it around, we're going to have to fly over that point. So that's a good time to do the experiment. And if you do that, 
will save enough propellant such that we can do the whole mission for 25 meters per second. Hmm. And the project manager who normally uh, doesn't like to hear me say anything, he just kind of sat there and he said, okay, go ahead and design that. He liked it. Like that. And that was the end of the telecom. Hmm. Interesting. So, so I, I, I sat down with, and, 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 and I didn't actually design it. I, I got one of the guys that was young and, and ambitious and all that. And I knew he, he's going to be, have a good future. So I, I got him to design it and I helped him. When, when the near landed, how do you know it didn't crash rather than land? How, do you, how did you know it was a safe touchdown? Because, he, because the transmitter was working. Oh, okay. See, once it's, if it crashed, the transmitter wouldn't, wouldn't be on. And not only that, but it has to be, it has to transmit from the low gain, from a low gain antenna, because because the dish there's a dish on there. You can't point the dish would not be pointed at Earth. Ah, okay. Be, so you so that, it's very hard to get the signal, and they couldn't get any data from the surface. We got a good data going down, mm-hmm. right right to the very a couple a few meters above the surface. We could see the pebble pebbles and everything, and then bingo, that's the end. It, it landed. Mm. So the only indication was was the return of the signal, and the only information we had was the frequency of that signal. So from the frequency, we could figure out the Doppler shift, okay. and then that told us that we were we were where we thought we were, and we had landed. Okay. So you mentioned being worried about this current mission that's landing. Can can you go into any detail about why you're concerned, or? Well, uh, you don't have to if you don't want to. I can make some a general statement. Okay. I, I don't. I don't want to say anything. Uh, well, even when the Rosetta mission was going on, I saw. I talked to the guy before, uh, two months before they did the land, the try the landing on Rosetta, mm-hmm. and I took. And he, he was discussing about things that he was doing, and 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 there was a group of about ten of us, five or six, and Yang Ping was there too, and she's she's she, and now she's a responsible manager at the, at, at APL. I told him, I said, look, I said, don't pay any attention to those managers. I said, what you have to do is get that damn spacecraft on the ground. That's the only thing. And you need to get a good gravity field to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, after after it crashed and they la- it landed on its side, I saw him again at the, at the next conference. And I, I looked at him and I said, the problem was you didn't have good enough in- for instrumentation on that spacecraft. They spent a billion dollars for it. For an extra million, they could have put the adequate inf- instrumentation on there, and it would have landed. Mm. But because they didn't understand it, and he said, "I know. We discussed that." <laughs> mm. I, I said, "Okay. Well, uh, I've made a few statements about about Osiris Rex that uh, I'll remind them when, I, depending on how it happens. So, mm-hmm. if, if it's successful, I'll, I'll congratulate them and say, and it will be a good accomplishment because." What I did is when I retired, I sort of said to myself, I'm going to stay in the game until somebody does something landing on an asteroid that, that shows that they know more than I knew. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. there's been some progress, mm-hmm. if they they can equal me or less, then I'm not, I'll keep working. And so I, I'm still working, waiting for somebody to have a successful landing on an asteroid. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so the problem I see is that the, the, the problem that, that, that with, with all of the organizations that are doing this, the kind of software that I wrote is very expensive to write. 
if especially if you have a team of people and you just don't have one guy writing it and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. So it costs a lot of money to develop the software that can, and it takes a lot of engineering time to do studies to make sure that you that you've uh, that, that, that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But the money for the studies usually comes through. You don't have to worry about that. But the software has has to have the capability to model correctly and in great detail. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's very important is modeling the data. It's very it's hard to model data, especially image. I, I actually wrote programs to generate images for near. Mm-hmm. I would generate images I generate images of craters with asteroids on them and, and, and with with craters on them, and then I would run it through the software, process the craters. Determine the inertia tensor and the, and the, the physical uh, sizes and things of the, of the, of the asteroid, the, the, the weight, the mass, and all that. Mm-hmm. I was able to simulate very accurately exactly what we're going to do in, in operations. What they do is they have they, and then when we launch, when we got there, I throw all, I throw away all the simulation software. It's it's in a certain you know because I'm not I'm not interested in studying what's going to happen anymore. It's happening right now. Right. The it's happening right now. Software isn't always as good, or the, or is adequate to do the job. But the study software that I throw away has never been written, and it hasn't been done. Hmm. And there, therefore, you're, you're setting yourself up because you haven't looked at all the possibilities and, and planned for them. You're, hmm. you're setting yourself up for disaster. But they think that since it costs so much money to do all these studies, that it's cheaper to not do them. Yeah, just depend on what you did before the planning. Yeah, well, well, I I remember on Viking, we're spending two billion billion over a billion dollars for for this thing for two spacecraft, and a couple million is nothing compared to a billion. Mm-hmm. But a couple million here, a couple million there, and the next thing you know, you're talking real money, mm-hmm. and that's the way they're thinking. See, yeah. but you you'd never want to. You never want to uh, shortchange yourself on navigation. No, no. <laughs> and they do, because they because everybody's cutting costs. Well, the spacecraft. When I worked on Mariner Six, I used to sit, tell my supervisor, I said, "Look, they're spending all that money and time designing that spacecraft. It's going to cost eighty million dollars. Well, that would be like two hundred. 300 million today, $80 million spacecraft. And it was gold plated. I saw it when I saw it before it went up there. Boy, I'll tell you about a few things I've ever seen in my life. was more impressive than looking at that spacecraft. Hmm. Talk about, talk about money, boy. That was, <laughs> it's like looking at the crown jewels. I'd rather have that spacecraft. In it. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, the, the, the amount of money that you're spending, uh, you, you just have to have to, uh, on Viking, we, we spend it in other words. Mm-hmm. We so we spent so much money on navigation, but still it only amounted to it maybe a few few million dollars. Well, maybe five or six. Not counting the data, mm-hmm. this, this is interesting. You're taking all this expensive data from these DSN stations, which cost millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's on one. But the navigation is the sum of that, plus what we do in navigating. You know, mm-hmm. the computer part where we write the computer programs. For every little uh, uh, data point that we're processing, there's enormous antennas. There are 200 
if you put him in a Rose Bowl, the antenna would go from the zero, from the goal line out, out to the opponent's 40-yard line. I, I went out one time in the Goldstone and took a look at that antenna. It's it's unbelievable how big it is, <laughs> and and when it moves, you can't hear it. Oh, and, wow. and my friend that was with me at the time, you know, he looked at it and he says, "Gee, I'd like to get my motorcycle up there and ride around <laughs> in there." <laughs> it would be fun, but let, so just to make sure I understand you, so you're saying they're spending a ton of money on the data points, but they're not spending enough money to make full use of the data that they're getting, best use well, of it. Well, no, no, I'm just talking generally. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what they're doing because I'm not I'm not involved. I, I haven't been involved at all in that mission. Mm -hmm. I'm just suspecting that they're not. Okay. Because if they, if they did, if they were really analyzing it in, in the detail that I think it needed to be analyzed, somehow I think somebody would give me a telephone call and ask me a question. About what I did on near, nobody has ever, nobody has ever asked me a question about what I did on near, hmm. ever, with regard to doing another mission. Interesting. And when 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 uh, Rosetta people over in Germany wanted to uh, get get some in, you know, uh, consult with JPL, they invited JPL people and kinetics people over there to to. Uh, talk about how you do how do you navigate around around a comet you know mm -hmm. that's that's a they don't include me in that because they don't because they don't trust me that i might i might say something <laughs> they don't like right well when they came to jpl i met with them and i told them exactly and they 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 liked what i told them so much that six months later they 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 sent some money over to, to have uh, JPL come and 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 work with them on something, you know, like that. They wanted me. So what mm. did they do? They send somebody else. Mm. I don't know if you get the get the message I'm I'm giving you, but what what I used to say is that JPL just loves to to pick up the number one incompetence that they can find and send them to to help other people. Mm. It seems that yeah, managers have their plan, and they don't like any voices that pipe up and and threatened to alter what they the direction they want to go in yeah 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 but i've worked enough that i understand that yeah so what i what i want to do is that whenever they want to say something that's stupid i want them to c come to me and tell me i mean i'm talking about in public now to, to nasa or wherever they're going to go i'm mm -hmm. working on the project full-time i'm done i'm doing all the work but now we have to come and we have to talk to the to the to the, to the customer mm -hmm. well they should if they don't at least come to me and discuss and tell me what they're going to say and let me comment on it. And then if I don't like what they say, I could tell them, okay, I'm not supporting you or, or we can, we can have it out privately, mm -hmm. but they don't, they don't even talk to me. They just go and do whatever they're going to do. Mm -hmm. They don't invite me to come along. What I, I, I knew a guy I'm work I'm talking to a guy uh, who's from China and he's, he's done some really good work lately. Mm -hmm. And he's come up with a, um, a way, a way of taking images and to help landing on on, on Mars, mm -hmm. and he got, got some kind of a, a, an award from JPL for doing this. He's really good at it, mm -hmm. and now he's working on he's 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 come up with some way of um, processing an image and being able to take another image and then and then and then find find things on one image that are also on the other image, mm -hmm. so that you could you can navigate that way. Right, cruise missile does this. 
the cruise missile images the ground and then they have stored in their images. But it's very crude. But he came up with a new way of doing this. And Carnegie Mellon wants wants to go in. Uh, or some company at Carnegie Mellon wants to talk to him about this. We're getting a patent on it. Hmm. But I told him, I said, I said, I know what's going to happen. And said, at JPL, I told him this before. I said, you, you, you got this award for doing that work. The next time there's a meeting discussing doing this kind of work, you will not be invited to the meeting. Hmm. Because you know what's going on. And they yeah. don't want you there. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, so we're at two hours. I'm going to wrap it up here. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, did you, I don't want to cut you off though. Were, did you want to add anything else or do you want to save it for if we, if we talk more about some of the work you did? Well, let me, see. I, I went over, I covered about half of what's on my sheet here. Oh, okay. You have, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good talk, but yeah, okay. We can, uh, if you have another half, we can, um, schedule something and, and talk okay. about that. Okay. We, we could talk about the purple plague on Mariner. Hmm. The scan platform on Latch on Mariner. Mm hmm. The sun shutter problem on Mariner. And then I, and then I go on Viking. I have, uh, the antenna gain at landing. Make okay. sure you communicate and get a picture back when you land. I may have talked about these things before. And, you might have and, touched on them. And the famous, when we had, when we were working on Viking, hmm. the famous back-of-the-hand compliments we get. Hmm. That's a really good job you did there for somebody as stupid you, as you are. That kind of, kind of stuff. <laughs> but we, we eventually got the managers and said, look, we don't want any more of those back-of-the-hand compliments. I said, if you can't, if you want a compliment, fine. If, otherwise, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that stuff next time then. Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save these. Because if I if I ever wanted to write a book, this is I got ninety percent of it. I, I don't think I have in my whole life. I don't have anything else to talk about. That's all I've done in my whole life. Oh, it's it's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. If you think about it, just think of how many times I could have played tennis and I've done a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess <laughs> I won't argue with you on that point. <laughs> well, for that reason, most people don't do what I did. Yeah. I did it. I did it because I was. I because I recognized that my what initially got me started was with my great fear that if we don't beat the Russians, it's the end of the country. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe. I believed yeah. it really strongly. I I was really dedicated to doing whatever I could mm -hmm. to, to in the on the Minuteman program and on the submarines and all that. You know. Mm -hmm. Then then around nineteen seventy one. When I was working on on bombing uh, with with Minuteman missiles, mm -hmm. I did a conclusion. This is all a bunch of BS, and and uh, from now on, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to get worry about what the Russians are doing. Mm -hmm. So I went to work with JPL, and then I started worrying about whether or not we could get the space thing to work. <laughs> hmm. Found a new concern. I've been, I've been motivated by by thinking that what I was doing was important. Mm -hmm. Hey. And that's, a big, that's a big motivator. Yeah, yeah and I never, I never thought about it. I, I'm going to make a lot of money doing this because mm -hmm. I knew, I knew that that was that's not going to happen. Because mm -hmm. I knew that people who do, do things like I, like I, like I've done all my life, I know other people who have done these things. I could see them. They never get anything for it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. except, the, except the satisfaction of knowing you've done it. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's that's worth more than anything anything else you could do. Yeah. I'd say so. But you have to get, you have to be lucky enough 
I was lucky. I, I never thought it. I was not a, that good of a student in, in college. Mm-hmm. I, I had too many pressures on. My father died when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't think I'd ever, I was lucky to even finish getting a bachelor's degree. I had no hope of getting a, going on to graduate school. Mm-hmm. I had to get a job and work and make money. Right. And so, so I, I my background is uh, uh, different than most people would experience today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But when I look back on it, I don't credit myself with having accomplished anything. It's all the luck of being there at the right time and having the right people uh, support me or help me. Mm-hmm. Well, preparation. In other words, there, there, there. Are, I ran into a lot of people back early in the in in my career. I'm trying to act today like they did with me. If mm-hmm. I see a young guy, I try I try to help him. Whatever, whatever whatever it takes mm-hmm. because I realized that that was, that was made such a big difference in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, okay, cool. So when do you think the next book is going to be completed? Any ideas? Well, I, I, I have a date of June 30th next year. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I got it. I, I mean, I had it written before. I mean, I got a rough draft of it, but I'm really going over it now and, and, and taking out some of the, the funny, this, funny comments that I sometimes put in mm-hmm. never put jokes in papers or books. This is the end of part two of this two part interview. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, technology and space, please subscribe to it and rate it. If you can, if you want more science, technology and space history, please visit technology to sign up for my weekly newsletter to keep up with my latest posts. You can also find written interviews and my social media links there. Thanks for listening.